afraid of losing my wife. We go to the hospital, albeit premature, but in my mind, I'm thinking we're leaving this hospital as a family of four. And now I'm facing the possibility of leaving the hospital as a family of one. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And this is the Crucial Conversation Podcast. We are very thrilled to have Evangelist Hodges with us today. Sir, Brother, good to be with we you guys. We are so excited that you're here with us. You're here in Arkansas. Yes, sir. You preached a couple of revivals while you were here. Uh, just got back from Arkansas camp meeting. Tell yes, us about sir. That. Did you like that? Oh, my goodness. Powerful. You're from... Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky, yeah. So you came a long way. I did. So um, let's get to know you, Brother Hodges. Okay. Um, you're from Louisville, Kentucky. Right. When you go back home, where's your go-to restaurant and what do you get? Okay. So uh, <laughs> this was the most difficult question, and I basically uh, I kind of just made some notes on, on uh, how I wanted to kind of answer the question so I wasn't fumbling around, but... Um, I started doing uh, keto back in August of last year. Mm-hmm. So my go-tos as far as like what I eat and all that kind of stuff has kind of changed. So I was like, what is my go-to? I mean, what am I, what's my favorite go-to? And I couldn't really think about anything. So before I did keto, my go-tos were um, Popeye's. Uh, come on now. <laughs> I told Tony on the way down, he was talking cabin on the way back up. Yeah. And you're going to get us some Popeyes. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking tongues right there. Talk about that Popeyes. So I I would get the uh, manager special, which is like three thighs. And uh, got to get got to get a biscuit or two. But that's not that is a chain restaurant, bro. You can go anywhere and get that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but that's true. Do you talk about like a hometown restaurant? Yeah, tell me about it. Something that nobody else knows about. <sighs> we, we shouldn't ask him this on the on the fly, Brian, because he did say that was the hardest question, and he came up with Popeyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. So, yeah. uh, um, so I saw like. Um, an advertisement on in Louisville. There was a place called the um, Seafood Queen. Okay. Or, or uh, oh, I can't remember exactly what the name of it was. Where they had uh, crab legs and and everything. Oh man, it looks so good. I cannot. Man, now that I'm blanking, I cannot think of what the name of that restaurant well, is. We'll have to go visit Bill Hodges. And- but I'm gonna. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I could ask my wife right now, she would remember because when we saw it, we were like, "No, dude, that's the place we're gonna hit up if we ever get over to Louisville, Kentucky." Yeah. Absolutely. So. Um, where uh tell us about your background where uh what's your story okay well um my story is i am a um i am a kid who was adopted as a uh six six week old nappy haired black kid by two Mm -hmm. uh middle-aged uh a middle-aged white couple Mm -hmm. named uh charlie and sandra hodges that uh took me into their home at a very young age and uh, pretty much loved me and uh, took care of me. And I was uh, officially adopted at the age of 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's kind of that's my story. Uh, my story. So the, the people who adopted you, were they uh, a part of the United Pentecostal Church? They were. Uh, now, they, at one time, they were going to um, 
uh, in Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ Church okay. in uh, Jefferson uh, Town, in J Town, Kentucky. Um, it's it's kind of like on the outskirts, I guess you could say, of Louisville. Um, they went to that church for many years, uh, and then they made the transition to Calvary Apostolic Church in Louisville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. and uh, that's pretty much where Is I've been. Is that your home church still? Yes. Who's yes. The pastor's there? Uh, Sean Griffiths. Sean Griffiths. Okay. Yes. Um, so how long have you been evangelizing? I've been evangelizing for two years. Two years? I remember the first time that, that I've heard you preach, I, I think you preached at Brooklyn at a youth rally. Yes. Uh, uh, about how long ago was that when you first started coming by to Brooklyn? The first time that I was in Brooklyn was actually in 2015. I okay. preached a youth conference there. That's how I got connected with Brother uh, Trailer. I actually got connected uh, through to Brother Trailer by from a former uh, youth pastor of his. Okay. We became friends, and that's how we kind of got in touch. And uh, so um, I preached for them then. They were going to do the conference the next year. It didn't work out. Uh, but then when we started evangelizing, they uh, they invited us to come back, and we did that youth rally and did a revival. And so so at what age were you adopted? I was uh, I was 14, if I'm not 14. mistaken. I was 14 years old. So did you have any um, any walk with God before 14, or were you just... Yes, that, the beautiful thing, and you asked the question, what's my story? My story is basically that I was adopted into an apostolic family, which yeah. basically gave me the foundation to have a walk with God. Sure. I was, I want to say I was seven years old when I got when I got baptized uh, and filled with the Holy Ghost. I can take you back to the exact spot when uh, when I spoke in tongues mm-hmm. and uh, and the time when I got baptized and and always just was so thankful to have a loving. A loving family that was willing to not only just to, to take me in and love me and treat me as their own, but to raise me up in the apostolic truth. And I've always said that that's one of the greatest things that they gave me was the opportunity mm-hmm. to be apostolic. You know, so, to know what it's like to be. To uh, that at what age did you did you feel you had a calling to ministry? Twenty one. Twenty one. Twenty one. And did you struggle with that? Um, I didn't. So I I did well initially. Um, no. Um, it's kind of a the best way for me to put it. I, I struggled leading up to that. Um, I was actually at a point in my life where I was ready to I was ready to walk out. I wanted to I wanted to backslide. I literally wanted to walk out on mm-hmm. God. I, I was I, I had made some bad decisions. Was in a relationship I should not have been in, uh, and I just got to the place in my life where I literally told God, "Okay, I'm going to go to camp. I've I've got you. Got to help me. You got to." You you've got to help me because I'm ready to I'm ready to give up, and so I went to camp that week. God just completely transformed my life. Now that was in 2005. Yeah, 2005. So then I'm thinking, I feel the call to the ministry. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to start preaching. I'm ready to I'm ready to do revivals. I'm ready to become a youth pastor. I'm ready to do all these great things. And it's literally like nothing happened. So it's like I'm literally like. I'm going through a desert. It's like you're failing right out of the gate. Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And then so I'm thinking, man, this happened in 2005. 2006 is going to be great. Mm-hmm. 2006, nothing happens. In fact, tragedy hits. My brother passes away. Four, four months later, my mom passes away. Mm-hmm. And it's like, God, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be doing something. I'm supposed to, and I'm losing my, I'm losing my passion. I'm losing my I'm like, and not only am I losing my passion, but now I'm like, I'm losing my loved ones too. And it's like, so it was really, 
um, 2006 was a very, very dark year for me. And so there are so many people I think that are out there that have had such vigor and, and passion mm-hmm. uh, for doing something for God, and, and then the unforeseen happens. Mm-hmm. And so, to the person that's out there that's, that's listening in right now, what is your message to them that has really just been hungry to do something for God, and then an unplanned event just sidelined them? Mm-hmm. Um, especially looking back on it now, the main thing that I would say, stay connected to your pastor, stay connected to your church. It's easy when you're going through difficulties and you're going through um, tragedy and going through hard times. It's easy to isolate yourself. What do people do when they become depressed? They isolate themselves. They separate themselves from people who um, can help them or trying to help them or trying to reach out to them. And uh, when you allow yourself to become isolated, um, you... you can find yourself in a situation to where you can really do harm to yourself spiritually, emotionally. Um, so it's so important. It's so vital. Stay connected to people. Stay connected to the to God. Stay connected to your pastor. Stay connected to the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God will help you through that. Brother Hodges, you've been through tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. We had you at our church um, well, last weekend mm-hmm. and such a powerful service. We had one get the Holy Ghost for the first time. Um, Our church is still buzzing about the service that we had with you there. And we're eventually, later on in this podcast, we're going to get to some of those tragedies. Mm -hmm. Um, But you were talking about the loss of your brother, the loss of your mother. Uh, At what age was that? That was 2006, so I would have been 22. 22. Were you married at that time? I was not. so, So how long have you been married now? We'll be married 11 years in in December. Man, you don't look it. (laughs) 11 years in December. And what's your wife's name? Sarah. Sarah. So before we started this podcast, um, I got your permission to talk about this. It's a a very um, crucial Mm -hmm. conversation that Mm -hmm. we're about to have Mm -hmm. about something that people tend to shy away from, and that's racism in in the United Pentecostal Church, and not only United Pentecostal Church, but in today's generation. Right. Uh, You're almost like a minority Mm -hmm. being a black minister Mm -hmm. uh, in our movement. Sure. And you are married to a white lady. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you felt any pushback or saw any pushback from... I don't want to. This this podcast is not to slander anybody. Sure. I don't want anything to come of that. But right. have you have you ever witnessed something like that towards you or your family um, since you've been in the ministry that almost felt like, hey, I didn't sign up for this. You know, I thought this would be a little bit different. Honestly, I have not. That, that's awesome. I have been. Um, I have not had any issues. Um, as far as being treated fairly, um, and my wife being treated fairly, my daughter being treated family fairly. I mean, everywhere we go, we've been treated as family, um, and that's. I mean, every church that we've had a privilege to uh, go to, um, we that's never. We've never had that problem. Uh, not to say that people don't have that problem, and not to say that that problem doesn't exist because it does exist. And I can probably, you know, you can line up, you can line up a a group of black preachers, and we're all probably going to have a little bit of a different story. Um, for me, um, I have not had, I have not had that. And on, if I, if I'm, if I'm completely honest with you, to some degree, I almost feel like. 
it's kind of been a little bit of an advantage, honestly. Because, really? yes, be, and I say that because when I feel like when people see me, they see my wife, and they see my daughter, they see what they want their church to look like. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I meet a lot of pastors, and they say, Brother LeVon, what can I do to help my church become more, more multicultural? Wow, what can I do? Awesome. What can I do? I want... And they'll say, they'll, and they'll they'll just say flat. I want, I want to see black ministers in my pulpit. I want to see that. And they'll come to me and they'll and they'll ask me that question. I count that as a great privilege. Yes, that sir. not only that they would trust me to come to their church and stand in their pulpit, but when it comes to becoming a multicultural church, mm-hmm. becoming a church where there's all. There's all races, all cultures, all nationalities. That's very important in our in our in our, in our, in our day. I mean, absolutely. We have in our church where we we're blessed to have uh, a little bit of a multicultural, and I feel like that is a vital push mm-hmm. in our movement. Whenever mm-hmm. there has been issues that have not, there hasn't been issues, but there has been questions raised mm-hmm. about racism in the United Pentecostal Church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we heard the story out of uh, St. Louis, I believe, where somebody wrote uh, uh, to a newspaper talking about how they didn't feel as though it was as diverse as it should be and they felt like um, were, you'd have to find the article and I, I'm not going to mm-hmm. air their dirty laundry about sure. it but uh, you know after that I felt like there was a, a quick push uh, from headquarters to say hey th- this is not who we are right and, right. That, and that we are intentional about bringing in the diversity and I thank God for that right um, I saw her uh, brother Jack Cunningham one time uh, talk about Witnessing and building a church, and how he said that the demographics of your city should mirror the demographics in the local church. Mm-hmm. If it's sixty percent African American, it needs to be sixty percent in the church. Absolutely. If it's thirty percent white, it needs to be thirty percent in the church. If it's five percent Hispanic, it needs to be five percent Hispanic in the church. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was that that is that's incredible. That's that's great right. because. The, the church should be a reflection of what things are going to be like in heaven, how it's people from every kindred, nation, and tongue. And then it shows that they are with the times of their city mm-hmm. because their city is reflected in the congregation. And, and I'll tell you guys, I have a, a good friend that is a black evangelist, mm-hmm. and uh, someone came to me, and I, I, I will not go into it very deep at all, but I said they said, I would like to have so-and-so come to our our church and preach, but I just don't think my congregation would accept him. That that is just that's something that I can't fathom. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's sad that we have we have to worry about that in the 21st century church. It is sad. So, um, but let's move forward. Um, so, at what age did you say you got married? I was 24. Okay, and you were already in the ministry at that time. I was. Okay, what were you yes. doing for the church um, at the time? Um, I was just kind of just starting to kind of get into youth ministry. We didn't get into youth ministry just yet. Um, but at that time, I was um, um, I was leading worship. We had a uh, youth praise band. Uh, it was called the Refuge Band. I led that. Mm-hmm. Um, I led uh, mainly um, playing acoustic guitar. And uh, some of the uh, some of the people in our youth group were part of that group, and then we had some of the people on our youth staff. They helped out 
And so that was mainly what I did. I mainly cut my teeth as a worship leader, uh, leading worship for the, uh, be the worship leader for the refuge band. So that was kind of my main thing that I was doing at that time. Um, we had gotten a chance to do uh, some youth rallies. We got to travel and go different places. We even got to uh, lead worship at, um, at a camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got to do a lot of cool things, and so that's that was my that was kind of the extent of my involvement. wasn't really wasn't really preaching. Um, I literally um, I was not preaching very much at all at that time, but uh, I was. Um, active in the music department. I was uh, leading worship with the Refuge Band, and then I was also in our choir and on our praise team. And uh, occasionally I would even lead worship on Sunday morning, Sunday morning services. Um, so tell us about your first sermon that you ever preached, Okay, what the buildup was to it, where you got the inspiration from. And I'd like for you, after telling that, to juxtapose it next to your most recent sermon like the sermon <laughs> okay. that you've preached that you preached uh, Sunday morning at the Pentecostal Jones room you preached a message entitled the, the problem with convenience mm-hmm. if I'm correct mm-hmm. and I've seen that you've preached at a few churches I saw on your Facebook that there was a, a quote from that sermon and uh, I'd like to hear about how different it was then versus how different it is for you now okay um, I think the biggest thing was experience you know, obviously, when you're first starting, you're you're just trying to at least learn how to put a message together. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know that you got to have your you want to have your scripture, and then you want to have right. uh, just something to you know something to say, and then also you know hopefully you have uh, some points or you know bullet points or something in that sermon that maybe you can. You can effectively, you know, kind of get off of your notes and then maybe be able to effectively uh, minister. But honestly, I I just I can remember that first message that I preached. The title of it uh, was The Business of Water. And uh, so it was just basically about, you know, uh, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water and just talking about the living water. And uh, it's something that I I felt passionate about. It was right at that time. I just came just a couple months, a few months after camp. So I still had that fire you know, from camp still kind of in me. And I was, I was excited about this opportunity and I wanted to make sure that I did a good job. And, uh, so it it was just, it was mainly, it was just about just wanting to make sure. I I think, I think the main difference between then and now is I was just at that point, I was just trying to show people how serious I was and how passionate I was about, you know, that, that if I'm standing up on the pulpit, I can, you know, I can do a decent enough good job to where you could say he's got a bright future. Right. Um, to whereas now it's still kind of the same thing, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm confident enough in the gift that God has given me that I feel that um, I can effectively minister uh, to people, um, but still have that desire to say, God, if you allow me to. I want to be, um, I want to effectively, um, 
uh, help this church. I want to be a blessing to the pastor. I want to be a blessing to the congregation. I believe that you've given me the gift. However, uh, like my pastor always says, you study and you prepare like you can do it without God. And then you pray like you know that because you know you can't do it without God. Right. So it's combining those two things. And uh, so that's that's kind of the that's kind of the difference. When my first message, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to show people. You know, I'm just trying to basically just do a good job and show people that I was serious. Now it's about coming in and effectively impacting the church and seeing lives changed. Um, so, with your message that you preached this last Sunday, um, that was a message that brought people to a place where they were forced into making a decision. Mm-hmm. To respond to that message right. in worship and and in praise, how difficult is is it to you as you're preaching if the church is not responding? Sometimes it can be it can be a little bit of a it's a psychological battle sometimes as you are as you are preaching. Um, if you're not getting the response that you feel like you should get or want to get, it can be um, a psychological thing. Um, I am learning. I haven't. I haven't got it down. I'm learning that. Um, and I've heard other people say you can't preach based on response. You have to preach based on what God has right. given you to preach. That can be difficult at times. It can. Yeah. It very well because you want that response. Right. You want that response. I mean there's there's time you go to youth congress and you see guys and they're preaching and you see all these people just screaming and hollering and you see that response and you get fired up. You know, and that, the preacher inside of you gets fired up. Like when I like if I go on YouTube right now and I'm listening to Victor Jackson preach a call to greatness from last time from last youth congress and I hear the response of the crowd you know, I when I when I step in the pulpit and I get ready to preach what God's put on my heart, I want to hear that same response. Now, granted, it's not going to be exactly the same because there ain't nearly as many people, but but you want to hear that response. But what I've learned is that you have to stay, you have to stay focused on what God has given you to preach, and you cannot determine whether or not um, people are going to respond. People are going to people have to make up their mind whether or not that they're going to respond to. Uh, to what God is doing. Yes. So let me go on a... Go ahead, Brian. Uh, I don't want to just focus in on on just the ministry side of this conversation. So I want to take it back before we go forward to where you were when you said, God, if you don't get a hold of me at this camp that I'm going to, then I don't know if I'll ever serve you. Mm -hmm. Because that's the same exact prayer I prayed after I graduated high school. I I was backslidden. And I went, I volunteered to work at a junior camp, and I was going to be a part of my last senior camp as a student. And I did that intentionally because I was hoping that somewhere in that, God would get a hold of me. Because I felt a pull. I felt that drawing of the Holy Ghost to back into a relationship with Him. I just couldn't get my breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And I said, God, if you can't get a hold of me in these two weeks, then I don't think that I'll ever be able to serve you. And so 
um, to the people that that feel that when they listen that they they want to get back where they were with God they want to move forward in their walk with God it just seems like they can't get that breakthrough what has to happen in them that pushes them from where they are to take that step is it just being in the right place at the right time is it an attitude is it a prayer is it a response what do they need to get that breakthrough stay faithful to the house of God stay faithful to the house of God the reason I got my breakthrough when I did is because I made the decision to go to camp I could have allowed the way that I was feeling to say, you know what, I'm not going to go this year. But I made up in my mind I was going to go, but I was desperate. I needed the breakthrough, but I had enough spiritual sense. Even at that moment, I had enough spiritual sense to know if I can just get there. Mm. The woman with the issue of blood, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'm going to be made whole. She understood in that moment, I might, in, I might not be able to touch H-I-M, but if I can touch H-E-M. It's close enough. It's good enough. And so what happens is you have to have a made-up mind that I'm going to come to the house. Even when you don't feel like it, even when chaos is going, going crazy in your world, every time you're faced with different things, you have to say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Better is one day in thy presence than a thousand anywhere else. You have to have a made up mind that I would rather be in the house of the Lord. I'd rather be struggling and be in God's house than have everything perfect and never answer the doors. Wow. Wow. So I want to ask you something that is uh, on a personal level here. We... We like to talk about our highlight reels, like you were talking about Victor Jackson preaching at uh, Youth Congress, and we talk about the messages we hear because of the times, and we hear about all these you know, phenomenal messages. Let me ask you something on the flip side of that. What is something that you failed at? It can be ministry-wise, it can be uh, personal-wise, it doesn't matter. Um, something that you failed at and how, how you overcame it, okay. how you could have changed it. Mm-hmm. Was there a blessing in that storm? T- tell me something like that. There's two things that I thought of when I looked at that question. The first thing uh, is my, just my overall health. Um, I've, been, I've, been blessed, um, I've been blessed with great health, um, but I have noticed in the past couple of years uh, one thing I have noticed is being 35, it's, diff- it's different being in your 30s than your 20s. You have to be more intentional in your 30s about taking care of yourself. And I got to a place where I wasn't quite feeling, my, feeling like myself, even in the pulpit. Um, I would step up. I can remember a couple years back stepping in the pulpit to preach and literally feeling like I could not catch my breath. And, just, and I'd only been preaching for maybe five minutes and just thinking, I just... I knew that my conditioning was bad. You know, I knew that I just wasn't, I, I knew I was way overweight and um, I, I knew I needed to make some changes. You were, you were overweight. I was overweight. You're very fit now. Well, I wouldn't say very fit, but I'm, very I'm, fit get, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. I'm not, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm, I'm working on it. Um, but um, I realized that um, 
I was failing. I was failing as a husband. I'm failing as a father. I'm failing as a minister because I'm not taking care of myself. Um, and so I talked to uh, some different people, some friends of mine, and found out about uh, keto. And uh, so I started doing, uh, August of last year, um, I started doing keto, uh, the keto diet. And really, I don't, we don't even like to call it a diet, we call it a lifestyle. And I began doing that and started changing the way that I ate, uh, tried to exercise regularly, because our body's the temple. We gotta take care of our body. And ultimately, if we take better care of our body, we can take care of the people that we minister to, we can take care of our families, we can take care of our friends, we can take care of a lot of, a lot of things when, we, when we're taking care of our health. Started doing keto. Um, as of, um, I mean, I, I'm down 50 pounds. Um, I was, I was two when I started. I was 237. I, I am I now, <laughs> <laughs> I am now at 187, and I feel a whole lot better. Um, and so, that was the failure. I wasn't taking care of myself. Um, I started making the changes. Keto for me was the was the way to get myself into a better uh, better physical shape and uh, and and exercise. I try to I try. I don't always get to, I don't always succeed at this, but I try to get to the gym four days a week. Um, and I like to uh, like to try to try to lift weights and do a little cardio here and there. And uh, but I like to stay active. And uh, so that's one of the things I'm doing. And it's it's helped my overall health. Hey guys. Let's get after it as far as taking after our taking care of ourselves. Uh, I know we can be in a church service and we can shout over people getting delivered from tobacco because of what it does to your body. Yes. But when we leave the church and go through McDonald's drive through, we are taking in unhealthy things into our body as well. And I'm not speaking against McDonald's or Burger King. I go through it. If you saw a picture of me right now with my double chin, you know I go through <laughs> it just as... I'm saying, let's all together, we need to take care of ourselves. Right. And there are things that we need to make sure to moderate. I'm not saying that we need to eliminate some stuff, but but there are, we, we, have, we should all take care of ourselves. And, and I started trying to run this Monday, and I remember when I used to be able to do a mile, no problem. Mm-hmm. I got about a, not even a quarter of a mile in, and I pulled my phone out as I was taking my, my, my break from trying to run, and I texted Melissa, worst decision I have ever made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was miserable. Yeah. My, my legs were on fire for like three days after that, and I, I couldn't get through the whole mile. Sure. But, uh, but to, add, and to add to that, in my position— I'm two two and a half hours away from home. I've just preached. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just preached a revival. I stepped down from the pulpit. I sat down and I am done. I don't feel like doing anything. I am just. I literally have to sit down for about five ten minutes just to catch my breath. Then I'm going to get up, get something to eat, eat a big heavy you know heavy meal loaded with. Carbs and all that, all that you know all stuff. Good stuff. All the good stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now I got to drive, you know, and I'm done. But then I, I'm going to eat this big meal, and then I got to drive home. Mm-hmm. And then when I get home, I'm I fall on the couch, and maybe my daughter wants to play with me, and I can't because I can't even keep my eyes open. Mm-hmm. I'm so I'm so depleted of energy that I feel like I, I've given all I can to the ministry, but then I go home. And I can't give anything to my family. I can't give anything to my wife. I can't give anything to my daughter because I am done. 
and it's it's a pretty uh, humbling place to be when you're only you know you're only in your 30s you're only 34 35 years old and you don't feel like I remember doing a health assessment and seeing that I did this health assessment and it literally said you're 30 at this point I was 30 33 33 34 it said you're 33 but your health assessment says you're 46 Mm. and I remember thinking to myself I have got to make some changes and I literally told my wife one one day, I said, I'm going to, we're going to start, you know, we, we decided we were going to do keto together. And I said, I want to change the way I eat, the way that I take care of myself, because I want to be a better husband to you. And I want to be a better father to jazz. If I don't make changes, I am afraid. And I literally told her this, if I don't make changes, I feel like I won't even make it to 40. That's where I was. And so it was, I was desperate to make some changes. And so I did. And I'm just determined I'm not, I'm not looking back. And, you know, there may be people listening in right now saying, seriously, I thought we we're having, we're supposed to have a spiritual podcast. And this is spiritual. Mm-hmm. The, as we talked about, we talked about the same thing when we had uh, Brock on, uh, the, the, your physical nature, it bleeds into what you can do spiritually. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, if you, you were up there preaching five minutes in and you couldn't get the message out because your physical health was holding you back from what achieving spiritually what you could achieve. Right. Brother Hodges, I want to, I want to shift gears for a second okay. if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. You have, we alluded to it a little earlier, this podcast, you have faced some severe loss, tragedy. I mean, you told your testimony at our church. I'm, I'm being very as respectful as I can mm-hmm. right here because I do not want, I do not want to do anything you're uncomfortable with. Uh, like I said, we did talk to you a little bit beforehand. You said you were fine with this, mm-hmm. but if you would, I want you to share with our listeners the, your story of your tragedy. Okay. Um, if it has any impact whatsoever, like it did at our church, this would this right here is what I want our listeners to hone in. I wanted to kind of get to it a little early, okay? Uh, because I want our listeners, I, I, they have to hear your story. Okay. Okay. Well, it basically. Um it kind of started, I guess, around 2012, 2013-ish. Um, my wife and I, we, we had been married uh, for about five years at this point. We wanted, we specifically wanted to wait a few years and just get a chance to, and that's one thing our pastor told us, you know, get a chance to kind of know, get to know each other and have that time. He said, because once you have kids, you know, everything, everything changes. And so um, after five years of marriage, I told my wife, I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready for us to, to have uh, to, to start our family and uh, so uh, we began the process of um, of uh, trying to have uh, trying to have a baby and um, my wife got pregnant and uh, at 12 at the 12 week mark uh, we went to the we went to the doctor and uh, ripped that first ultrasound we walked into the walked into the room and we're looking at the, you know, we're looking at the screen and we're watching the ultrasound. And I'm just, you know, just wide-eyed and I'm just looking around and I'm like, okay, well, where is it? Where is it? Okay, you know, just, 
excited and just, you know, a little nervous or whatever, but just excited. And and, and I'm just looking and I'm, I'm like, I don't, I don't see anything. I'm like, Sarah, do you see anything? I'm like, I don't see anything. And so, and of course the ultrasound tech is, 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 you know, is doing her thing and looking or whatever. And, and she finally says, this doesn't seem right. She said, you're 12 weeks pregnant? And my wife was like, well, uh, well, yeah. We said, well, you're only measuring it seven weeks. And we didn't really understand what that meant. And because uh, we're still you know, like, okay, well, where, where's the baby? We don't see the baby on the screen. And so finally, just out of frustration, my wife says, am I even pregnant? And she says, oh, no, you're pregnant. There's just no heartbeat. And it was like, what? And my at that moment, my world just completely, completely crashed. And um, I just lost it. I lost it right then and there. And um, unfortunately for the, uh, for the ultrasound tech, she'll never win ultrasound tech of the year because no sooner than I just realized that we had lost this baby, she says... Okay, we need y'all to leave the room. We got somebody else coming in. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, so that was in 2013. Um, three years three years later, um, we are, it's, Jan, it's, it's, literally, it's New Year's Day. If I, if, yeah, it's New Year's Day of 2016. We're with some friends. We're at some friend's house. And we're just hanging out, having a good time. Um, Sarah was 19, 19 weeks pregnant uh, with twins. And the backstory with this was uh, early or late uh, 2015, got pregnant, found out it was twins. We felt like it was God was giving us double. We always say God giving us double for our trouble. And the interesting thing about it is, as I preached, I preached a youth conference or a Touch the Future uh, conference in uh, in Bellevue, Florida, Souls Harbor, uh, the church that Victor Jackson's out of. And I met Victor then. And Victor told me, he said, hey, bro, I believe God's going to bless you with twins. He literally told me that. So that was in 2013. Two years later, we find out we're pregnant with twins. What's your first emotion whenever you hear you're pregnant with twins after that? I was so excited. Mm-hmm. My wife was like, "Twins? Like what?" And I was just like, "You know, I, 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 to me, it was the greatest thing ever." But then it was the it was the culmination of what we'd already been through, and what Victor had told us, had told me at at Souls Harbor, yeah. and holding on to that and believing that and believing in what Victor told us that it was coming. It was coming to pass. This was it. This was the promise because we'd been told that God, you know, God's going to, and I was at this conference. I pre, I had the opportunity to open up for Stan Gleason and Stan Gleason looked at me and he said, God's going to bless you with a baby because you passed the test. So that's powerful. Yes. And so here I am two years later, I find out that I'm going to be a daddy of twins. And I'm thinking, this is the test that God said that we passed. This is it right here. This is the promise. What Victor told us, what Stan Gleason told us, what people have told us, what people poured into us. Luke St. Clair, who pastors in uh, Anderson, Indiana, was crucial when we first lost our uh, when we lost our first baby. He preached a youth rally, and I went to this youth rally because I was a section leader at that time. 
but I just didn't even feel like being in the pulpit. I was just so hurt and so distraught. He looked at me. I had never met Luke St. Clair in my life, but he looked at me and he said, son, it's not over. I needed that at that moment because I was literally, I was literally hanging on by a thread and Luke St. Clair ministered to me. I'll always be grateful to Luke St. Clair. I'll always be grateful to men like Stan Gleason and Victor Jackson because those guys really, um, their ministry has blessed me, but the words that they, they've said to me in private have blessed me as well. So here we are, two years later. This is two, 2006, you know, 15, we find out that we're pregnant with twins. January the first New Year's of 2016, we're hanging out with some friends, and my wife starts having these pains, you know, having these uh, just, just, you know, and she just thought that they were Braxton Hicks contractions because the friends that we were that we were with, she has twins as well. And so she was like, they're probably Braxton Hicks contractions. So we said, we probably need to go to the hospital. I said, okay, so we'll go to the hospital. Sounds like, okay, it's Braxton Hicks, Hicks uh, contractions. And so we get to the hospital. And uh, we go into this room, and the doctor, you know, they do an ultrasound. And um, so then after the ultrasound, um, they come back, they bring us into the room. Of course, we see the the two twins, everything was good. We'd been to a couple couple appointments after that. to see the babies and everything was good. Everybody was like, "You've got the per- these. Are, if you're going to have twins, these are the best kind of twins that you could have. This is the most health, the most healthiest way to have a twin pregnancy, basically." So everything was just great. And then all of a sudden, the doctor comes in and says, "You're in full blown, full blown labor." Uh, how many weeks? Nineteen. And we're going to have to deliver. I lost it. I absolutely lost it. And I just remember screaming at the top of my lungs, this can't be, this cannot be right. This cannot be right. This cannot be happening. And I just remember screaming, after everything we've been through, after everything we've been through, and you're telling me that this, that we're going to lose two babies? And I can even remember failing and talking about failure earlier. I remember feeling like I failed my wife because I told my wife, I said, if God, if God meant for us to lose our two babies, he would have never allowed us to get pregnant with two babies. I remember saying that, and I felt like a failure because I felt like I lied to my wife. Here my wife is laying on a hospital bed, getting ready to deliver our twins, and I said, God is blessing us because he's given us two babies. And now, facing the possibility, or facing the, 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 I mean, inevitable, that we're going to lose our two babies. And uh, so we went into the room. We were we were in labor and delivery, and um, uh, this was January the second. By this point, um, and uh, our first baby, uh, Zoe Marie, was was born. She was born, stillborn. And I remember at this point, this had been hours. I mean, everybody at the church was at the hospital. I mean, it was just. But I mean, of course, I was a wreck. And I remember Sarah. Uh, called, I think, I don't remember who she called, but she called somebody and she literally said, somebody's going to have to get up here for Levon because he is absolutely, you know, she, I think at that moment, she was just worried about me getting kicked out of the hospital because I was just absolutely just beside myself, hysterical, whatever you want to call it. And um, I, I just, 
I was just in a bad, I was in a bad place and I was just praying, God, you can, you can change this. You can change this. You can fix this. You can, you can do this. And then next thing you know, oh, wait, the baby's coming. The baby's coming. And I can remember as they take that baby out and they lay its lifeless body right there. And, the, and while you were there, they just lay that lifeless body to you. And I, and I, and they laid it in the little, the little, um, I don't think it was like an incubator, but it was just like a, um, it was just, you know, something they have in there. It's just kind of like a glass kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I was so angry. I couldn't even look at her. I couldn't look at her because I was so, I was so angry at that moment. Mm-hmm. I was angry. I was angry with God. I mean, I really was. Because now here, you know, our baby's gone. And so now we've lost one baby. And now it's. Well, when's the next baby going to, when are we going to lose the next baby? Because we got to go through this again. This is just one time. We got to go through this again. So we waited an hour, an hour. Nothing ever happened. Nothing happened. A day goes by. Nothing happens. Another day goes by. Nothing happens. So we end up meeting. So we're, we're hoping and praying that, um, that the, we can keep the second baby, you know, in the womb and everything and everything, you know, and, and hopefully... If we can, if we can, this, we're 19 weeks. If we can just get to 25, then at that point, she would go to the NICU. We didn't even know the gender yet. The first baby was, was a girl, we, but we didn't know the gender of the second baby. And so, um, and our appointment before, our appointment was literally coming up that Monday. This happened on a Saturday when we went to the, I believe it was a Saturday when we went to the hospital. Our appointment to find out the gender was that coming Monday. So we didn't even make it to find out what um, what the gender, the appointment to see the gender. And so the first, we lose the first baby and then, and then we're just, you know, nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens. And so we're hoping that we can just prolong this and at 25 weeks that, you know, she can be born and, you know, the, the opportunity for her to be, to, to live, you know, by that point, her lungs are fully developed and, and, uh, you know, at least she probably spend a little bit of time in the NICU, but she'll be, she'll be fine. You know, she'll be with us. And, uh, so everything was going good for a little bit. And then all of a sudden I went back, I just went back to work and, uh, all of a sudden I got a phone call. I got a phone call while I was at work. Um, and uh, the uh, counselor, I'm sorry, the secretary at the school said, uh, you need to go to the hospital. And so I did. I walked in the room. They had, they had Sarah, they had her inclined in the bed. And I'm thinking, what, what, what happened? What's going on? And they literally had to keep her in incline. And it was like, well, if we can keep her inclined in this bed for a couple weeks, then hopefully everything will be okay. And I'm thinking... She has to lay like that for two or three more weeks. I just, what? And so they're doing tests. They're doing different types of things. And come to find out there's an infection level that's going, you know, that, that's in her body. What she didn't know at the time, but what we were told, um, they said, well, we're going to ch- check these infection levels. If they go up, then we're going to have to deliver. Brother Hodges, let me pause real quick and ask you. Hmm? I'm wondering... During these, between the death or the stillbirth of your first child and while you're waiting on the unknown for the second child, mm-hmm. what was what was your walk with God like? 
um, my walk with God was at first I was very angry. I was very angry. I was angry at God. And I just couldn't get past the why? Why? Why would you even let us get pregnant if you were going to turn around and just take them from us? It would have just been easier for us not to get pregnant and not have to deal with this. And I'm like, but you're God. You're almighty. You can heal anything. You can heal anybody. You can do anything. Why couldn't you do it for my babies? Why couldn't you do it for Zoe? I was very bitter. I was very angry. And I just remember the feeling of being so angry that I literally wanted to run out of the hospital and just run and just and just keep running. I heard the story about Stephen Curtis Chapman, uh, one of my favorite singers, and he talked about the story about when they lost their daughter. The, do- uh, the son that um, was in the car, basically the story was the son was in the car. I think he was he was backing into the driveway. Their little girl didn't see him and he, he was she wanted him to to play with her and he was in the car and he was backing in and she didn't see him and she ran out from the car and he hit her mm-hmm. and killed her and when he found out what happened he literally took off running and his older brother chased after him and grabbed him and tackled him to the to the ground that's how i felt i felt that's how i felt i just wanted to run i wanted to get as far away from any as anybody that i could i just wanted to run away so i was very very hurt but as a day would progress and another day would progress and our second baby never uh you know never came you know, never came. Did the infection levels stay where they needed it to be? Or? For this moment, there was no infection. And so it started to raise our faith. It started to raise my faith. I can remember one night and this, this, at this particular time, you know, like I think maybe we can save, we can, we can save her, we can save her. So then the prayer was, we lost Zoe, but help us, help us keep, you know, this baby. We still didn't know the gender yet. And, uh, so, you know, everything is starting to look a little bit better. They moved us from labor and delivery. Eventually, they moved us to the antepartum wing. I remember one night they were doing ultrasounds like every couple of hours. Uh, I can remember when we were still in labor and delivery. I had my acoustic guitar at the um, stand at the uh, in the room, and I just remember one night specifically. This is, I think, where God really began to work on me. We began to. I just got out my guitar and I just began to sing. I begin to sing. Uh, we just had worship right there, and I'm just like, I'm gonna lead. I'm gonna lead my wife, and I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna lead my my little. What ended up being a little girl, I'm gonna lead them in worship, and we're gonna trust God through this. That's the only way that we're gonna make it. We gotta hold on to God. That's the only way. And so we had praise and worship right there in the room. And so, um, so. A little bit of time went on. Uh, my wife had a, uh, a surgical procedure called a cerclage to kind of help keep, uh, to try to help keep the infection out of um, out of her body, and uh, uh, try to I think keep the keep the placenta kind of that whole thing. Um, just try to keep everything that's in the womb, keep everything intact, make sure the baby was healthy. Baby was healthy. Baby had a healthy heartbeat. So then we fast forward. So so during this time, I went from angry to oh. God's able, hopeful, hopeful. Yeah, God, 
you know, God is going to make a way. One way or another, God's going to make a way. So this went on for two weeks. And then now here I am. I'm at the hospital again. You know, everything is starting to look good. And then now we're taken back from anti, from the antepartum wing. Now we're going back to labor and delivery because the infection now has set in and it spiked. They checked it first and they said, these are the levels. If it goes up, we're going to have to deliver. It spiked. Come to find out, the infection that was in Sarah's body was fatal. And so it was the the feeling of, the overwhelming feeling, feeling of, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna lose another baby. We're gonna lose. We, we found out later on. We had an ultrasound. Found out it was a girl. Her name is Maddie. I said, "Well, we're, now it looks like we're gonna lose Maddie too." But it, but then almost immediately it went from. It's not just that I'm gonna, not just the fear of, I'm not just gonna lose my daughter. I'm afraid I'm gonna lose my wife. We go to the hospital, albeit premature, but in my mind, I'm thinking we're leaving this hospital as a family of four. And now I'm facing the possibility of leaving the hospital as a family of one. And that was absolutely, that was, oh, that was so terrifying. It was so terrifying. But God was working. And I'd been to church. Um, I went to church. Um, and I kind of addressed it in my message when I was at POJ. I'd made it up in my mind, and it really started when I got out my acoustic guitar in that hospital room. I was going to worship God because God was the only way that I was going to make it through this. The only way that my family was going to make it through this is we had to stay connected to God, had to stay connected to the cross. And so I made up my mind when I finally felt like, okay, I, I, you know, everything's kind of stable. I'm going to go to church. I went to church. I went home first, obviously, and and I got my guitar. I got the work. I had, you know, uh, my worship pastor, um, my great friend, Brandon Calton. Shout out to him. Uh, he uh, he sent, he emailed us the worship set. I went home, practiced the worship set because I wanted to make sure. I didn't want it to be a distraction because I knew everybody was going to be watching me. Yeah. But my, I felt a responsibility to God and to everybody at that church. I felt a responsibility to worship because I didn't want anybody to look at me and say I can understand why he didn't worship because did, of what he's been through did people in leadership at that church try to get you to hey man take a breather we don't just don't worry about this Sunday I never felt any kind of pressure anyway the outpouring of love from my church it's like they would have understood either way I have never been through anything in my life where, you know, you've heard, we've all heard the saying, when, when you hurt, I hurt. I have never been through anything in my life where my church was hurting and grieving just as much. And some, and some honestly, maybe even more than we did. I mean, our church grieved so hard. That at some, there were some times I felt like I was trying to, to encourage people in my, in my church because their faith was shaken. I have never experienced anything like that before. And so the, the outpouring of love from, from, I mean, from our pastor and pastor's wife to everybody. I mean, within, I, I kid you not, within about 15 minutes of finding out that she was in labor, there were already people at the church. 
I can't tell you how many people were in that hospital room at one point. I, at one point, the ladies before my before even our first daughter was born, the ladies walked into that room. They put their hair down. They put they laid themselves across my wife as she's laying in the, in the bed, and they begin to pray. And, I mean, it was just so there was there was nothing when it comes to the church and comes to the and it comes to uh, everybody in the church. There was nothing but an outpouring of love. There was no pressure of any kind. Um, and the hospital that we were at, um, in contrast to the situation when we had the ultrasound where we were treated horribly, mm-hmm. Norton Hospital in Norton, Norton Suburban Hospital in uh, in Louisville treated us incredible. They took such great care of us uh, through this whole thing, and our church was there. We never felt any type of, of pressure, any type of anything. Everything we felt was nothing but love. I can remember showing up for practice, and all my all my bandmates, we were all there. Of course, my nephew Jordan, who's who's our lead guitarist, he was there. He actually went home with me when I went to get my stuff to go back to the hospital and stuff like that. And I had a chance to talk to him. He helped me a lot during that time because I felt like I I remember going home and feeling like I need somebody to go home with me, and he. He and uh, and my really good friend uh, Danny uh, went with me to my house to get to, to get some belongings, to change clothes, just to get a shower, go back up, you know, whatever. And uh, they really helped me through that time. So I never felt any pressure, and I just felt the love. I could feel the the grief, obviously, but I felt the love of the band and everybody when I came. I mean, everybody gave me a big hug when I got there. I just I just made it up in my mind that I was going to worship. I was like, the only way I want everybody to see me. I'm still a worshiper. That has not changed. I might be going through tragedy right now. I may have lost one baby with one baby holding on, but I am going to worship through this. It won't be because I gave up. It's not going to be because I threw in the towel and said, I am walking away. I said, I'm still going to walk with God, even though I don't know. And I say this a lot of times when I preach. It's one of my favorite quotes that I like to use. I may not know my outcome, but I always know Jesus will come. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I made it a point to live by that. I didn't want to just preach it. I wanted to live it. And I wanted to show that congregation. I wanted to show everybody in the congregation. Maybe it's, maybe it's a little bit selfish in a way. And I don't mean it to be selfish. But I wanted to show them that I'm going to worship my way through this. I just didn't want anybody to look at me and say, I didn't want anybody to look at me and say, gosh, you know. I'm sitting in the back of the church, or maybe I'm not even there. Maybe I'm sitting in the balcony, balcony, or I'm sitting somewhere, and I'm just I'm not engaged. I don't want people to look at me and say, "Well," because you know, I, in my in my mind, the thought was, "Well, I can understand why he's not worshiping," because if it was me, I probably couldn't worship either. I didn't want that. It was that if I don't praise him, the rocks were going to cry out. I didn't want to be that. I thought, to me, it was like, it's, it's not fair to my pastor and pastor's wife. It's not fair to my church for me to show up to church, to show up to the house of God and not praise him and not worship him. It wouldn't have been right. No matter the grief, no matter the pain that I was feeling, I cannot stand in front of my church family. I cannot stand in front of my pastor. I cannot stand on the platform with my bandmates and not worship. I can't do it. And I made up in my mind I wouldn't do it. And um, 
So then, um, so that was my mindset. God was working on me. God knew I needed that two weeks. So now we go back. We're back in the hospital room. It's two weeks later. The infection set in my wife's body. We're in the hospital. This time it's completely different. This time I'm, I'm completely in dad mode. And I'm, I'm there and I'm holding my wife's hand and I'm excited about this process. Because this is what you look for. When, you, when, you become, when, you, when you're becoming a dad, you look forward to... You want to be there in the room. You want to be there for your wife. You want to be there to see the baby. You want to see that. And I got that opportunity. And so here I am. I'm sitting here. I'm holding my wife's hand. And uh, the doctor is there. And the doctor uh, takes the baby. And she says, in the first words out of her mouth, she says, she's alive. Hmm. And I thought, this is my chance. This is my chance to right the wrong of what happened with Zoe. I'm going to make it right with Maddie. And so they said, we don't know how long she's going to be with us, but she's, she's here and she's alive. My wife, and she knew, she knew what I needed. She held her for about five minutes. And uh, so then I, I held her and I held her in my arms and watched her just every maybe minute and a half take a big, you know, big breath, you know, whatever. And I watched her, I watched her little heartbeat, and I sang to her, and I just told her I loved her. And it was the best, it was the best 45 minutes of my life, holding that little girl in my arms, knowing that she was alive, and knowing even though I knew she wasn't going to be with me, she wasn't going to be with us long, she knew that mommy and daddy loved her. And she knew that she was going to be safe in the arms of God. But for every heartbeat that she took, every breath she took, I wanted her to know that she was safe in the arms of her mom and her dad. And um, I feel confident that if she could, if she were here right now, both of them, if they were here right now, they, I feel confident enough to say, mommy and daddy loved us. We never felt anything but love for mom and dad. And uh, But I felt a peace, a peace that I didn't have two weeks ago. God knew I needed those two weeks. I needed the two weeks to get over the hurt and the, and the anger and the pain. And God began to chip away that hardness that was in my heart. And he allowed me to be able to worship again, allowed me to be able to trust him again. I began to trust God that he was going to perform a miracle. But it was almost like... It was almost that, that the, the situation that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves in. I know God's able, but if not, he's still worthy. He's still able. I had, it took two weeks for me to get to the point where I could say, God, even if you don't do it, you're still worthy. Yeah. I'll still praise you. We left that hospital as a family of two. It could have been a family of one. And for that, I'm so grateful that God spared my wife's life during that time. We went home hurting, but we went home knowing that God was able. And I can remember when we had their service, when they had their funeral service, um, I can just, you know, I, I love music. I'm a music junkie, and I just, I, I love music. And I can remember just, I, 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 I just went back to my childhood and just, one song 
has stuck with me throughout my life that we always our choir always sung it um, and uh, it's a song called Peace Speaker I know the Peace Speaker I know him by name I'm glad I know the Peace Speaker he controls the winds and the rain when he says peace be still they have to obey I'm glad I know the Peace Speaker yes I know him by name I specifically asked that that song would be sung at the funeral. And um, uh, Sister Mayreen Hampton and uh, Sister Dorinda Hampton and uh, and uh, Sister Elaine Pryor, uh, they're known in Louisville, Kentucky, or actually they're from Indiana, but they're known as the Pierce Sisters. They were they were nice enough. They, uh, they sang that song uh, at our church, and I asked them if they would sing it, and I asked my Aunt Charlene if she would play it. And they did, and it just brought me back to when I was just a when I was just a little boy, hearing that song about the peace speaker, and I knew, and here I am at you know 30, 33 I think at this point. I needed that same peace speaker at thirty three that I needed when I was a kid growing up in the church and hearing about the peace speaker. God carried us through that. And um, I can look back on it now and I can honestly say that God carried us through it. And what God will, what God, what he allows you to go through, what he takes you to, if he brought you to it, he'll take you through it. Now, that was in 2016. A few months later, we're in the... um, uh, we were we were blessed by a brother in our church. We went on uh, we went on a vacation. Uh, he blessed. We went to Myrtle Beach, just a chance for us to kind of get away. Uh, and that was a that was a healing process for us. We were going through the healing process. We were trying to get we were trying to get the courage, gather up the courage to try again. I specifically remember remember Mother's Day in particular. My mom passed in 2007 so Mother's Day has always been has been difficult for me but now you know but now at this point after losing the twins it's even harder you know and so I remember telling my wife why don't we just get away why don't we just go somewhere let's let's take a little mini vacation let's just go somewhere let's not go to let's just go somewhere and she's like you know Levon I really want to just I want to enjoy Mother's Day and we had just started our church started doing this thing called the Mother of the Year on uh, Mother's Day and usually at that point, it was, you know, I think it was like they would draw a name. Well, this year, uh, my pastor's wife, Sister Griffiths, decided not to draw a name. They gave it to Sarah was honored with it. Of course, I broke completely down. I just lost it. I was just so happy that she that she got that Mother of the Year award because I felt like if anybody deserved it, which any every, any and every mother that's in that church deserves a Mother right. of the Year. Any award. mother, every Any mother. Yeah. Any mother deserves a Mother of the Year. Um but she got it, and, and it was just an amazing, amazing thing. That was that was in in May, July, July of uh, of 2016. We are um, we're at home. I'm just you know just I think on my phone you know just just hanging out, not doing too much. Sarah's like, why? I just feel different. I feel I feel you know I feel I just I'm tired. I'm this. I'm that. The other. I just she's like. 
I, I just feel like I'm pregnant. And I guess it was just with everything that we went through, I just blocked it out. I think just the grief and everything, I, I just blocked it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just like, oh, you know, oh, that's nice. And I just kind of, just kind of went about my, went about my business. Probably not the answer she was expecting. Probably not. And I don't, I don't even know that I, I don't even know that I said it out loud, but I was thinking it. <laughs> now she. That's knows. my story. That's now my story. Knows, but now she knows. She knows now. No, she knows now. So. Uh, Lord help me. <laughs> I might be in Arkansas a little bit longer than I anticipated. <laughs> we'll wait until uh, you get home to upload this. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, so anyway, so she goes upstairs, and she's upstairs for about five minutes. And again, I'm not thinking anything of it. You know, she comes back downstairs, shows me a pregnancy test, and sure enough, she's pregnant. And I thought, what? No way. Because. It was like we were we weren't we were just trying to get to the place where we was like well you know because people were like are, are you gonna try again are you gonna try again and I think and I said yeah I think we're gonna try again we're just we're just trying to get through the process trying to trying to let our hearts heal and let's get to the place to where we're ready to try again all of a sudden she's pregnant so then we were at this point we go to youth, we're at youth camp. We had to leave youth camp so that we could go because she had an ultrasound. Would you believe she was four months pregnant? The whole time we were grieving and I was you know, we were grieving and we were I was grieving about Mother's Day. I was grieving about some of these different things. I remember having a conversation, we went out to eat with my pastor and pastor's wife, and the conversation of the girls come up and we just both of us just bawled at the you know, while we're there at the table, and uh, we just we're just bawling our eyes out. Had no idea that all through that time, that period of time, where you know, from Mother's Day to, to just different periods where we were grieving, grieving, and just hoping that God would give us the strength to try again. Would you believe that God already did the miracle? Mm-hmm. She was four months pregnant by the time we realized that she was pregnant, and so. So once you got confirmed that you were pregnant, mm-hmm. um, did you have, what was your thought process? Was it, A, I don't want to go through this again. Was it, B, I, I'm, I don't know about the, the outcome here. This is worrisome. Were you genuinely excited? What was? It was a little, it was It was kind of all of that. Initially, it was, it, it was that, it was almost like a, uh, it, it was like, yeah, I, I, I was, I was, I was terrified. You know, are we going, you know, is that feeling of we going to lose another one? And it was kind of that, you know, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Right. Uh, but and so, but it was that excitement. It was that excitement of knowing what, well, you know, we're 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 getting further enough along now to it almost feels like we're getting further enough along now to we're starting to get to the safety zone. So every week, so we, she had literally every. Every week she had appointments. She had ultrasounds, and so I would go with her to the ultrasound appointment because I wanted—I didn't want to miss anything. I wanted to be there, and so we would go to the ultrasound. And then we would—I I would take her to work, and I would go to work. And so we did this, and we had—you know—we had these multiple uh, appointments, and everything was good. Everything just seemed to be good, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking, man, this is incredible. I'm just hoping—I'm hoping that the that the the rug don't get snatched out from under us and we just so everything everything was just going good the one thing i will tell you that did scare me was um we uh we had went to waffle house with my dad 
we ate and uh, my wife got sick and so instantly we thought uh oh there's a problem we may need to go to the hospital so we went back to the hospital I, I work in a school system so I work with kids that deal with a lot of trauma and a lot of uh, just a lot of different things you know work in the public school system especially in a big city like Louisville we have a lot of kids that have a lot of trauma and stuff like that I had never known what I had never really understood the effects of trauma until we went to the hospital and it wasn't the exact same room but they put they put us in they put us in a room in the hospital that was that was right next door to the room that they put us in a year before when they told us that we uh, that we was in labor. And I walked in that room and I could smell the, the aroma of that room. I literally about lost my mind. It was like I was claustrophobic and I was like, oh gosh, this is not good. This is not good. I got to get out of here. This is not good. I just, that overwhelming just, this is not good. Rooms like this are not good. Thankfully, you know, they, they, they checked her out. They did an ultrasound. Everything was fine. Sent us home completely the opposite so here we are so now fast forward it's January uh, 2017 you know the year before I'm having to after I had that episode where I was literally screaming after everything we've been through then I had to I had to call everybody and tell them to come to the hospital I had to call my in-laws I had to call my dad and I said you got to get up here it's not good and that feeling of I'm just like, I can't even, how do I deal with this? And, you know, I I just, just couldn't, just that, the frustration of having to tell people, hey, this is not good. A year later, we're in the hospital and um, we, my wife had an appointment and we were hoping that, you know, she was far enough along that we were hoping that they would go ahead and uh, take her. And uh, so we're in our appointment and uh, the uh, doctor says, well, I think you are ready to deliver. So let's get you to labor delivery. And so the great one of the greatest parts of that was I got to get on the phone and I got to call my dad. I got to call my in-laws. I got to call, you know, uh, Pastor Sister Griffiths and call different people and say, it's time. Come on to the hospital. Completely different, completely (laughs) different than a year before. Mm. Completely different. We get to the get to the hospital, have a um, smooth uh, smooth deli- delivery. Everything goes great. Completely opposite. Same hospital, same month. January of 2017. Same hospital, same. We even had some people come into the uh, nurses that still work there, and I was like, one. I remember one of them came in, and she was like, "What are y'all doing in here?" And my wife was like, she had a big smile on her face. She said, "We're having a baby," mm-hmm. and Jasmine Quinn was born. January 17th, 2017. Your, your whole world changed. God took everything that we had went through and he turned it around. And what we did was, is um, we took her, her name is Jasmine. So we wanted to spell her name a little bit different because obviously the kind of the standard is maybe like J-A-S-M-I-N-E uh, or something like that. So we decided let's spell it differently. Let's take... Since we had our two, you know, her two older sisters were Zoe and Maddie. So let's take the Z and the M and add that into her name. So we so we spell it J-A-Z-M-Y-N-E. So the Z for Zoe and M for Maddie is in her name. So every time you say Jasmine, Zoe and Maddie are with her. Wow. What a story, man. Over. I just wonder. 
And since here we are, uh, your, your, your daughter is now two years old, right? She's two and a half. Yes, sir. How has the process been? Because I'm sure you've told this testimony many places. Mm-hmm. How is it today, two years removed, with the blessing that you have now, has it gone easier being able to tell the test part of your testimony? Um, telling it, um, I will say, does um, to some degree. You know, when you lose, when you lose anybody, you never really get over it. You know, you get better about it. God helps you with it, but you don't get over it. And to some degree, you really shouldn't get over it because uh, there are times where I'll be honest with you. I, I sometimes feel guilty. Sometimes I am so. I've wrestled with. I'm just so I'm so proud of jazz and I'm so I just love jazz so much. I, I, I find myself feeling guilty. I don't want to forget Zoe and Maddie. I don't want to forget them for the brief time that they were with us. I don't want to forget them. But sometimes I'm just so full of joy because of jazz that I don't want to forget about about them. So I, I so I, I struggle with that. But as far as telling it, um, God has given me the strength to uh, be able to share. Um, One thing my wife and I have always agreed on is that if our story helps other people, it's worth it. Right. We were preaching in a church not too long ago, and um, I told told my story. Wasn't planning on it. Wasn't we wasn't even supposed to be at the church. Um, we had just planned. We I called the pastor, asked him what time uh, the service is. We were just going to come visit. And he said, well, why don't you come preach for us? And I said, yes, sir, I'll, I'll, we'll be there. We showed up and we preached and God moved. The Holy Ghost was moving. And uh, I, this particular message, I preached. I'd actually... I had actually preached the message earlier uh, in the day at a different church. Preached the same message, but at a different church. And I felt led. I felt led of the Holy Ghost to preach it again to this to this congregation to this church. And uh, I, at this particular message, I don't really talk about. I have messages like the problem with convenience that I preach, where I do talk about the girls. Uh, it, it's it's intentionally uh, in the message. This particular message, I don't necessarily talk about the girls. In fact, I preached it earlier that morning. I didn't talk about the girls at all. Something in the Holy Ghost said, just, I started to talk about the girls and talked about what happened. The Holy Ghost just completely just broke out. And uh, I, I'm, 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 you know, I'm just worshiping and, uh, you know, the Holy Ghost is moving and everybody's shouting and everything like that. I mean, it's just a great, great, powerful, powerful move of God. All of a sudden, I look out of the corner of my left eye. I see the bass player at the church we're at. He sets his bass down, jumps off the platform, grabs his wife by the hands, and starts dancing with her. Mm-hmm. That place went. It just erupted. It was already it was already here. But when he got off that bass and grabbed his wife's hand and began dancing with her, it went. And that whole church, they shouted. They were all, it was incredible. And I was like, you know, I'm just kind of in the moment as a preacher. I'm like, boom, God did it. Because you never know. That's that's the point of this podcast. You never know what you have to say, who right. it might affect. Right. You never know. You never that's know. why, again, going back to as, as a preacher, when people don't respond, you have to stay focused on what God has given you. Because just because they don't respond doesn't necessarily mean they don't receive. Mm-hmm. 
So people may be receiving it. You just gotta you got to stay consistent on what God's giving you. To, God's giving you to say. So anyway, so I, I'm just you know thanking God. You know God. You know these this couple is getting their breakthrough. Have no idea. Had no idea that this couple had just lost their baby. Wow. And wow. here he is, and he's sitting, and he's sitting, and he's he's in the same position that I was in. Yeah. He's a musician in the church. Wow. And my and part of my testimony, mm-hmm. part of my testimony was that I went home from the hospital, practice practice the worship set because I didn't want to be a distraction. Mm-hmm. I wanted to worship God through my instrument. You never know who you're going to connect with. And here he is, and and, and and what? Three years later, I'm preaching at a church. And I see somebody do the same thing, going through the same, going through the same situation. Man, I got chill bones. You can't tell me that there's no God. He does all things well. We weren't even planning to preach at that church. Our plan was to go to the church that we were preaching at, and then we were going to go home. But the, it's a pretty short distance between the church that we preached at that morning and the church we preached at at night. And so we was like, hey, I told Sarah, I said, hey, you want to, my, my in-laws were watching jazz at the time, which with the two-year-old does make it a little bit easier. And so uh, I said, hey, I why don't we go up there and visit? And I just called the pastor and he said, well, why don't you come preach? We weren't even supposed to be there. We were not even supposed to be there. That whole church, and that church was grieving. That church was going through the same situation that our church was going through when we lost our babies. They were grieving hard. But when they saw that couple worshiping and praising God together, it was like, there's hope. There's hope. It's amazing how God will take what you have been through and he will use that to help other people. I try to be sensitive, obviously, because it's still it's still a difficult it's still a difficult subject. I try to be, you know, there's different and I talk to my wife about it a lot of times and you know just understanding the emotions that the different emotions that are that are a dad will feel and a different emotion that a mom will feel and try to be understanding and respectful of that. But I, I feel a responsibility to share our testimony because there could be somebody and it may not necessarily be what we went through. It may be something completely different. It may be just a fine. You need a financial miracle. It, it could be anything. But if I can, if we can touch one person with our testimony, it's absolutely worth it. This is something that you may not want to hear from somebody else regarding your situation, but I feel like it's something I want to tell you. You went through that for a purpose, for yes. a reason. Yes. I cannot sit here and say that that was easy to go through. It was easy for me to listen to that because mm-hmm. I'm sitting here. I didn't deal with that. I have a little girl at home that is my entire world. She has been since day one. Mm-hmm. You know that. Oh, absolutely. And I could not imagine losing not just one, but two. And for you to share that testimony, to share that with us and our listeners, you went through that. God had a purpose for that. And it's so hard to hear people say God had a purpose for for all that tragedy Mm -hmm. in your life. But because of if it was just that one guy that was playing the bass, Mm -hmm. that was the reason you went through that. Yeah, it absolutely was. It absolutely was. So I want to ask you, I want to we're going to wrap up pretty soon. I want to ask you one last question. I know I sent you some more, but I want to ask you this one last question. 
you went through anger, depression, desperation, um, priority, you prioritized things differently. Opposed to then, now, where do you get your answers? Well, I mean, obviously, our answers come from God. Let me, um, let me ask this on a deeper level, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. When you feel like you've prayed and you don't get a direction, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm going to be transparent here because there's times that I've prayed. I know there's times me and Brian's talked that he's prayed. Mm-hmm. We feel we have not gotten that answer. Can you elaborate with that? Honestly, um, the best way I know to answer it is just to stay faithful. I mean, that's that's really all I know is that if if I need an answer to something, I know that I just got to stay faithful and I got to stay connected to God. If I keep my connection and I stay faithful, God will reveal it to me. There are times there are times when I go places. There are times where I go places to preach. I'll have pastors call me and they'll say, hey, we want you to come preach. And God will immediately give me a word for that church. And you've never been there. I may have never been there. I may not even be going there for another month or so. But then there's times where I'll be asked to preach and I have no idea what I'm going to preach. And I think to myself, God, give, you know, give me a word. Give me a word. Because I... I don't know. I don't want to preach what I want to preach. I want to preach what you have given me to preach. But inevitably, if I stay faithful, if I stay connected and I pray, I seek God, I study, God always gives it to me. He always gives it to me. He always provides. We always talk about how God provides. And typically, you know, we don't have any money. All of a sudden, money is money we get a check in the mail or we didn't have any food in the house all of a sudden there's groceries that's how we always think of it from a preacher's perspective from an evangelist's perspective or even from a pastor's perspective when you stay faithful to god and stay faithful to what you know you you need to be to your crafts you stay faithful to uh your studies stay faithful to god in prayer and all that type of stuff god always provides the word that you need to give to the church at that moment and that's what I've noticed, especially since we've been evangelizing. I have noticed that even when I don't have the answer, I know God is going to provide it. So what I hear you saying to the person who's listening right now that has dealt with hurt and confusion, you're telling them that God blesses faithfulness. Yes. Yes. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all thine ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct thy path. I don't know where my answer is coming, God, but God, I know it's coming. God, I don't know what you want me to preach, but I know you'll give it to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know where this where this financial blessing is going to come from, but I know you're able. Even when I don't, and we, I love the song, you know, Waymaker. Even when I don't see it, he's working. He's always, he never stops working. You may not see him, you may not feel him, but he's always working. Mm-hmm. And if you can, if you can always keep in your mind that God is always working for you and not against you, it'll be revealed. 
Paul said, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present life, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed. So even if I don't get my answer and I'm going through some problems, the problems I'm going through can't be compared to the answer that's coming. Mm -hmm. Wow. Because it's coming. But in the meantime, I got to stay faithful. Amen. Um, Your testimony has spoken to me in a very special way. Um, I'm not the evangelist here tonight, but I just feel like preaching for just two minutes because there was a a family that was in in our church that was going through a similar situation that had experienced the, the loss of children. And when you gave the spoke about how Brother uh, Victor Jackson said to you that I feel like God is going to give you double in replacement for what you've lost. I remember when I told this couple, I, I, with, I, I overcame um, the feeling of inadequacy, and I, I spent, hey, guys, I just, I feel like God is going to give you two. I believe you're going to have twins. Mm-hmm. I believe God has given you that word, and they received that word. And then there was another miscarriage, and then there was the other. And I felt embarrassed. I felt like how you were saying about your wife, how you felt like you let her down. You felt like you let them down. But you know, through all that that they were going through, eventually they did have and they have a beautiful baby girl now. And But through all of that, I felt like that I was a false prophet, that I was wrong mm-hmm. in what I said. But when you spoke tonight about one of the men of God who spoke in your life and said your stories not over. Mm-hmm. That is what I thought about that couple is because I say, well, I was wrong. They just have a baby girl. But the thing is, I don't know how that story is going to end. I don't know if next week they're going to announce they have twins because the story's not over. Mm-hmm. And to a mother who's out there right now who has had prophecies over a backslidden child that you have seen minister after minister speak into your life and you have seen hope you have seen that them coming it seems like they're coming in on the horizon and just as soon as you begin to see the hope it seems like it's gone I want to remind you, your story is not over. To the person who's been battling with addiction that felt like I've finally overcome this and then you've fallen back in, your story's not over. Amen. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. Brother Hodges, I want to give you the last word tonight. And while you do that, I want you to speak to, to the people. I want you to share your heart. Uh, just whatever you feel to unburden yourself. Give and, us a final thought. And, and, then, and then, if you would, when you can conclude... Give us a book recommendation. Where do we go from here to uh, not just steer us in, in a, a path of study and what we've talked about here tonight, but just anything that you think would be beneficial to a person out there that's wanting to find their place, to develop in ministry, just something that's touched you and encouraged you? What I would tell any and everybody that's listening to this podcast, stay connected to God, stay connected to the man of God. My ministry, I can honestly say, has been blessed because Pastor Griffiths is in my life. Because I have a pastor and pastor's wife that love us and that will uh, tell us when we're right, tell us when we're wrong. They'll help us uh, with any and everything. I had a conversation with my pastor's wife not too long ago, and it's something that, is, that has helped me as we get ready to transition with our, with our job situation. You're going to go through seasons in life. Seasons will change. Circumstances are going to come. 
things are going to happen. Your world is going to be rocked. You're going to go through seasons where you're on the mountaintop and you're going to go through seasons where you're going through the valley. But if you will stay connected to God, stay faithful to your church, stay faithful to the man of God. I heard somebody say one time, you can't be right with the master and be wrong with the pastor. You have to have a man of God in your life. My ministry has been blessed, not only because of what we have been through and God has carried us and God has given us a testimony, but our testimony, our life, and our ministry is connected to the man of God and it's connected to Calvary Apostolic Church, Louisville, Kentucky. It's because of my church, my church family, and my pastor and pastor's wife. Anything that I ever become in ministry, it's because Sean and Terry Griffiths invested their life in me. And I want to tell anybody that is listening, if you will stay faithful to the man of God, there's going to be times where you're you you're on the mountaintop. You're excited about your ministry and you want to preach every time that you want to preach every week. You want to preach revivals. You're waiting for calls that don't come. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Stay in the word. Stay connected. Amen. If you, you may not be you may not be preaching, you may not be preaching a message, but if your if your pastor says, Hey, I need you to, to go clean the bathroom, go clean the bathroom and do it. Do whatever your pastor asks you to do. Because I, I worked as a custodian for a few years and that was my ministry. Before I ever got into a pulpit and preached, I was cleaning toilets. I was mopping up floors. Didn't like it, didn't understand it. But now when I look back, I realize that God was preparing me to be a servant. Because if I couldn't handle, if I can't handle the bathroom at a school, a bathroom at a, at a facility, I can't handle being in a pulpit preaching the word of God to saints whose eternal soul depends on what comes out of your mouth. Stay faithful to the church. Stay faithful to the man of God. Stay connected to the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Stay connected to God. His word, his promise. All these things. Seek ye first the kingdom. And all these things are going to be added. Any and everything that's added into my ministry, it's because I've stayed connected to God and I've stayed connected to my man of God and my first lady. Brother Hodges, what a powerful final word. Give us a book recommendation. I will give you two. Uh, Tale of Three Kings. Uh, I do not know the name of the author, but it's a tremendous... Boom, there it is. Uh, <laughs> Tale of Three Kings We've had is that a one tremendous recommended on the show. Before. Yes, yes. <laughs> there's a reason why it's been recommended. Wow. It's such a great book. In fact, I, I need to go back and read that book again myself. A Tale of Three Kings and uh, Leading on Empty. Okay, Leading on Empty. Leading um, on Empty. I've, is heard, a of tremendous, I've heard of it, but I, I can't remember uh, what all the premises of that. It is a uh, tremendous. It is a tremendous book. Um, my pastor's wife actually told me a few years back, it's been a few years, she said, Brother Levon, I want you to read this book. And like like a good son in the gospel, I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm going to read that book. And I did. Brother Hodges, you're a full-time evangelist. Yes. Um, let our guests know if they're looking for evangelists, how to contact you. Okay. Um, well, you can, uh, you can, uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, it's called Evangelist Levon and Sarah Hodges. Uh, you can uh, connect with us on there. Um, uh, I am on uh, 
Twitter, Instagram, at uh, RevLVZ. Uh, whoa, whoa. And so, uh, Drop that one more time. RevLVZ. So Rev underscore LVZ. It's funny. People, that's my, that was my, that's been my nickname <laughs> ever since that was, uh, that, you, my you self-appointed, right over that. a self-appointed <laughs> nickname that I that's gave myself in high school. Trying to be cool, you know, like, you know. Growing up in you know in the early you know late in the '90s and early 2000s with all the the rappers and stuff like that you know like you know Lil Weezy and then I'm like well Levon LVZ I like that so it stuck so so some friends they'll still see me they'll see me like LVZ like yeah what's up man you know so Rev LVZ on Twitter and and I'm on Facebook and Instagram but Evangelist Levon Sarah Hodges is our Facebook page I'm on Facebook Terry Levon Hodges and then my wife Sarah Rich Hodges were on Facebook, and uh, so you can contact us through that. And, and he is a tremendous minister in the gospel. Um, if you can go back, if you can, if you follow the Pentecost of Jonesboro Facebook page, if you want to go back to the Sunday morning of July the sixth, there the archive of his most recent sermon is there at Facebook Live, and he is a powerful man of God with, as you can tell, an incredible story, and he would bless your church, ladies and gentlemen. That was evangelist LaVon Hodges. Thank you so much, Brother Hodges, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for allowing me to be on. It was an honor. It was an honor. Just remember, like our podcast, subscribe to our podcast, leave us some feedback. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. And this has been The Crucial Conversation.